Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. We fared well in the floods, haven't we? Not the rest of the hunter, but wasn't even flooding driving around the lake to church, but boy, the mid-north coast. When you see a house floating down the river, you know it's pretty bad, eh? Anyway, so Father, we pray for the protection of lives all over our state in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Small piece of news that I like in the soccer fans. Um, I mentor a guy in England and he was telling me the other day, uh, Liverpool FC, who are the team I go for, and probably the best team in the world, or were, they're fading a bit. Their goalkeeper, Alison Becker, goes to Liverpool Hillsong Church and a few weeks ago, Firmino, the striker, was baptised in Hillsong. And the, the guy that's the pastor of Hillsong Liverpool is Reuben Morgan, who used to come up and help train our, our worship team. So just some interesting soccer news. Um, and I thought of a good name for you. I love that, what you shared. That was brilliant. Um, Dynamic Lifter. <laughs> it's a much better name than fertiliser. So we'll think of your ministry like that. <laughs> All right. Um, continuing our series on Who Are You, Lord?, which is the seven I Ams out of John's Gospel. Um, today we're looking at part two, I am the light of the world. Uh, just a little bit on the gospel, so I'll teach you a little bit about John's gospel each time. Um, Matthew's gospel was a gospel of the kingdom, is the most compre- comprehensive on Jesus as the Messiah. Mark's gospel has the most on the humanity of Christ and is a very emotional gospel. Luke's gospel has the order and truth-seeking of a doctor and contains the most detail about events. And John shows his spiritual journey. He becomes part of the inner circle of three after passing a massive rejection test. Remember, his mum said to Jesus, I want my sons to sit at your left and right hand. And he said, you, you don't know what you're asking and just kind of, no, <laughs> bad luck, Jack. So sometimes, you know how there's a finance test, there's a grief test, all the tests that life throws at us. Sometimes there's also a rejection test where you maybe feel like God has rejected you, where he hasn't really but he, he will eventually take you into your rightful place with him. Um, today's section's interesting out of John 8. Jesus is having a massive confrontation with the church leaders or the temple leaders, and he's losing. So he has one last crack at winning them by revealing who he is, and he gets massively rejected. Um, it's a bit of a warning to all of us as Christians even though we know a lot and you know the truth and things like that, you don't, you've got to not have this thing of I know everything and so there's no teachability left in your life because God's only got to turn up the brightness of the light. I'm the light of the world. If he turns the brightness up, it will show some of your strengths to a better effect and it will show some of your weaknesses to be a little bit worse than what you thought they were. Um, but he doesn't show weakness to condemn us, just to help us through. Um, the thing that happens just before this is the woman caught in adultery and to the religious leaders of the time that he didn't help them stone her to death without a trial was radical. And then I think what he wrote on the ground, the Bible doesn't say, was their sins. And so they see it and he goes, he is without sin, cast the first stone and they realise they couldn't. Um, the thing that happens straight after this big confrontation where he gets rejected is it's almost like he's had a gutful of trying to reach, reach high-level religious leaders, and he just goes off and, and, and heals a guy that needed healing. It's almost like, I want to get back and just help people. 
Um, so Jesus turns up the light, revealing himself. With light comes heat, and heat can in some ways warm us, and it's good for us. In other ways, it can reveal our sin and weakness and things we need to work on. What shows up in the religious leaders is pride, unbelief, self-righteousness, and a murderous spirit. I'll just say it now. Interestingly, in their law, it was wrong to kill anyone without a trial, but they wanted to stone the woman to death on the spot. So their answer to someone who had sin was kill them. Their answer to Jesus, who didn't have sin, was let's kill him as well. And so he kind of goes to town on that. After they have a go at him about his... uh, where does your father come from? And, and you have to go back to the original language. It doesn't come out that well in the New Living. But it's like they say, well, who's your father? They're going, well, Abraham's our father. We weren't born out of sin like you were. And it casts aspersions on the integrity of Joseph and also Mary. It can be as bad, one guy said, as calling his mother a whore or something like that because she was pregnant out of wedlock. And it really fires him up. So that's when he does the thing of, well, who's your father? It wasn't Abraham. You're nothing like him. I'll tell you who your father is and we'll, and we'll read that. So let's, I can't read, it's really the whole of chapter 8, but for sake of time, I'll just pick some sections. So we'll go from verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The Pharisees replied, You are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. So the confrontation begins. Verse 15. You judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness and my Father who sent me is the other. Where is your father, they asked. And there's a whole section on the original language of of what they're referring to and why they say it that way. It's a bit oversimplified in this translation and most translations you'd read. Jesus answered, pardon me, since you don't know who I am, sorry, I need a drink. Since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my father is. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury. But he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. Interesting that it was the treasury because Jewish historians say, and and this is not having a go at the Jews, that was just the particular country we're dealing with and who the religious leaders were. Um, uh, The treasury was where they spent most of their time attending to their own finances and raising revenue, not to help the poor, but to make themselves more wealthy and not attending to the business God had called them to. So that's interesting. Verse 23, Jesus continued, You are from below, I am from above. This is part of where he's fired up from above. You belong to this world, I do not. That is why I said to you, you will die in your sins, for unless you believe, he's trying to address their unbelief, that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Who are you, they demanded. Great question. Verse 30, then many who heard him say these things believed in him. It's like the Gentile observers and some of the Jewish observers are kind of getting it. He's revealing who he is and they kick in 
to belief, which is great. But then it talks about the others. Um, and it goes, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. So Christian, remaining in his teachings is important. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now the others standing around but say, we are the descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you'll be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, famous scripture, you are truly free or free indeed. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham. So here we go, big confrontation, I'm going to read fast. Yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. You are imitating your real father. It's like, I'll judge you by your fruit. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, or some versions say he's speaking his natural language. So every time the devil speaks to you, there might be a little bit of truth in it, but it's always a lie. So never get into agreement with him. If, if you hear that, that voice, you'd always try and respond in an opposite spirit. That's one way to kind of deal with it, because the, he, he can trap you with a little bit of truth in the condemnation that, that he's putting on you. Um, uh, so when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. Finished two last scriptures. Jesus, in verse 58, Jesus answered. Now, he, here it is. He's just kind of almost given up, and he's thinking, I'm going to have one last crack and just lay it all on the line. Here he goes. I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. Just to kind of go into the thing, because we all fall short of the glory of God, okay? So you and I, you know... We're in Christ, but we still have sin we need to deal with. And sometimes we fail and have to get up, and sometimes we don't because we resist it. But I was just reading Eddie Jacob, a book Donna gave me at Christmas. He's a Jewish guy who lives in Sydney. He's 100 now, same age as my dad. And I read his book, and I just loved it. And he survived the Holocaust. Um, he just says this about cruelty. Some people see cruelty and become cruel in return. We see a lot of that, don't they? You just watch the news at night. Others see cruelty and become determined never to be cruel. I saw no point in surviving the concentration camp if I had to be cruel to do it. Don't let your fear overtake your morals. And I love this. Beware of not being free in your heart or you will end up 
taking away your children's freedom. Whoa. So there's stuff we need to deal with. Now, just to preach, I'm just going to give you a little quick rundown on four really good Bible teachers, the kind of angles they pull out of this. I'm not going to refer back to individual scriptures, but I'll just tell you what they said. Uh, John MacArthur, who studied Bible, I kind of read each morning. He, he deals with, with the confrontation of the situation. He goes, at first they find Jesus a little hard to understand. They're patient and so is Jesus. But then, then he starts to expose their sin. He confronts to save, not to condemn. But they condemn themselves by picking up stones to kill him, thus breaking their own law by killing someone without a trial. Their self-righteousness is stunning. They wanted to stone the woman who had sinned and they wanted to stone Jesus who, who hadn't sinned. The light of world increased the light and much is revealed. Um, in our own journey into freedom, there's two things we have to choose. Number one, it's not just one, I believe in Christ. It's I choose to believe in Christ, but then you face this battle where you have to actually take authority over your own unbelief and begin to kick it out. I'm not going to think like that anymore. I'm not going to believe like that anymore because I'm now a Christian. I'm going to line up with the word of God. And, and that's an important step because the, you know, the parable of the sower, the rocky soil and the cares and worries of the world, those things can raise the head or someone will have an argument about Christianity or make sense to you and you're talked out of it. No, you have to deal with your own unbelief and kick it out. And I'll tell you what enables you to kick it out is your humility. Your pride will stop you from kicking it out but your humility will let, will let it lead you. Um, they, remember we talked last week about they exalted Moses over Christ. Today they exalt Abraham over Christ. Um, and I've already said that bit. All right, let's move on. Second one, Matthew Henry, who's just one of the most great you know, Bible teachers of history. He deals with the pride of the situation. Um, Jesus speaks to the leaders. The Gentiles have been enlightened while they're hearing it, but the leaders are struggling to see that their traditions are holding them back. The Bible says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Again, I say this almost every time I preach. That's why it's a daily relationship with God. I struggle if, I'm, if I miss my prayer time. Um, why? Because I'm weak. <laughs> Not all of me, but there's a part of me that is. If I go two days, I struggle a lot. By the third day, I'm starting to backslide. That's just me. I just need daily prayer and reading the word to keep me, to keep me on track. Um, Matthew Henry says this, We've all got a torch of judgment. You're supposed to shine it on yourself first. We had a funny thing recently. Start to have these little fights and Ros would say to me something and the next day I'd say, No, but you said this. And I'm convinced she was wrong. Anyway, I had a hearing test. I went for an eyesight test and they said, oh, we give you a spec savers. We give you a hearing test while you're here. And I had my hearing test and they go, oh, you're right here. Your hearing is really bad. And I said, why is that? And they said, well, you've got a bone growth in there and you're going to get these sounds confused. F, T, H and S. So sometimes she's swearing at me. I thought she was swearing at me and she wasn't. <laughs> Not really. But what it was... What was going wrong is I was hearing her wrong. She wasn't speaking it wrong. And I was shining the torch and going, you're, you're saying the wrong thing and not remembering. But guess who had the problem? So shine the torch on yourself first. 
Don't despise Jesus' harsh confrontations. He doesn't do it often in our life, but sometimes he's really straightforward with us. One time he was straightforward with me and I got it. It's the first night I ever went to Bible college when I was in Kempbrest Church on the Central Coast. Hadn't been a Christian very long, started going to Bible college, and the guy that did it was a great Bible teacher called Len McGee, who's the guy that led Joseph Prince to the Lord. Has an incredible teaching ministry. Anyway, it's my first night at Bible college. There's 30 people, and I just think it's like school. I've got, I'm sitting in the back row, I've got a pea shooter shooting all the Christians in the back of the head and they kept going like this and didn't know who would do it because Christians don't think someone's got a pea shooter at Bible college. Well, I thought it was hilarious. Anyway, he gets onto it and I didn't know that he used to belong to a gang in England before he got saved and was a street fighter. So he walks down to my seat, throws me on the floor whips my arm up behind my back, and he goes, there, are you going to behave or go home? I said, I'm going to behave, I'm going to behave. <laughs> but listen, it was good for me. It was a language I understood. I understood rough and tumble, and I thought, fair enough. So I sat up and behaved and learned all about grace. It was incredible. <laughs> but it, see how, no use getting offended. I was the one at fault, so I had to learn a lesson. Bang. And life's like that. Sometimes it'll teach you a harsh lesson. Hey, Go with it. Interesting thing about Jesus before I go to Charles Spurgeon. Um, there's a part in the gospel where he looks over Jerusalem and his work there is finished and he goes, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you like a hen gathers a chick. You know the scripture. But you murdered the prophets and now the son did it. So he leaves Jerusalem and that's it. And I, th I forget whether it was 20 or 40 years later it was destroyed. It's like they didn't want him, so his hand went off it. And, and Matthew Henry just says this, Jesus isn't noisy when he leaves, whether it's leaving a church, leaving a person, leaving a city or leaving a nation who doesn't want him. He just goes. He doesn't stay where he isn't wanted. Whoa. Okay. Number three, Charles Spurgeon. He deals with teachability. This is such an important lesson for us. Jesus has one last crack to save them. I'll just tell them everything straight up. The light of the world can light up the deepest recesses of the heart. Trouble is their pride stopped them from letting go of their unbelief. They, this, I like this. They wouldn't let their own humility lead them home. I tell you something, I, I, this is a dumb thought, but it'll help some guys. In church, a number of times over the years, I've had guys say to me, oh, that guy's wife's so good looking. He's punching above his weight. It's kind of a stupid thing to say because whenever they've said it, I've observed that the guy with the good-looking wife is a really humble guy. And instead of being proud and, and rough with his girl, he's gentle and humble and it wins them and, and they take care of their wives really well. That's why they've got them. And I can remember every time I've ever heard a guy say that, the person they're talking about, I think, no, they treat their wife really well. That's why they've got them. That's why they're able to win them. Um, those who do evil hate light and hate accountability. So be suspicious of yourself if you're afraid of the light. Um, some people, sometimes it works in reverse, some people are being kicked out of churches because they could see Christ and bear his fruit. I was kicked out of a religious school, I won't say the denomination, because I was leading a lot of kids to Christ and it was kind of throwing the local priest out, so he asked me to leave. I was humble about it. I thanked him. I said, look, I realise you're just doing what you think's right, and, and I'll honour your authority, and I'll leave. 
Um, so I know what that's like when I thought, gee, I've been sacked from jobs for being evil, but I've never, I've never lost one from being good. But that happens too, doesn't it? Sometimes just people don't cope with, with what you see in God. Listen to this. I love this story so much. There was a holy man a long time ago. I don't know which country. He only ate and drank what would not kill other life. That sounds good so far. And he was very proud of it. Ooh. He felt a little better than others because he did this. Then a missionary came to town and had a microscope and showed him under the microscope the water he was drinking and all the life that was in it. What did the holy man do? Did he adjust his belief? No. He picked up the microscope and smashed it. He couldn't admit his tradition was stupid and that he wasn't better than others. He couldn't get on to, hey, we all fall short. Sometimes in life we do that. We'll throw out what the word of God says in case it exposes us. It's just interesting for what it's worth. Frederick Brunner. Um, he talks about the light. More correctly, when he says, I'm the light of the world, language, it's like saying, light, I am. Light has purpose. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. That's for every individual. Israel will be a light unto the nations, is another scripture. So for uh, corporations and nations, um, light is for them as well. If you walk in real light, you get real life. There was an old uh, man of God named Bede. He said, he does not say the light of angels and the light of heaven, but the light of the world, meaning for all of us, there's darkness to overcome, either in us or outside of us. If Jesus doesn't come into the world or come into your life, the, the darkness will rule. It, 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 it doesn't always look like an evil thing really, but it can be fear, it can be anxiety, and we've all suffered from those things. Jesus decides, I'll head to the conclusion. Jesus decides everyone, like when he does this, he does the big confrontation, they're rejecting him, and it's like he just draws the line and goes, everyone's seen enough evidence now. I've answered enough questions. It's time to make a choice. Now, this is where he puts it on the line. Watch this. If I'm not God, kill me. If I am God, follow me. What did they choose? Whoa. Heavy choice, eh? Just be careful that we don't kill God out of our own lives by not, by not following where he's trying to lead us. Um, just a little bit of Eddie Jaku. Um, he faced nearly a decade of death in the concentration camp. He said, when you lose your morals, part of you dies. The SS men were not immediately evil. They were weak morally and easily manipulated by the system. They slowly lost themselves and their humanity. He said, even amongst my friends, those who kept worrying about what they had lost did not make it. He goes, we're all part of a society and our work is our contribution to a better life for all. He said, this is interesting. You need to lay the burden of your suffering down in order to take up the responsibility of being happy. <laughs> I failed that so much. 
I've had sciatica this week. And um, Ros will be at work all day. <laughs> In pain, I thought, now when Ros gets home, don't whinge. You know, self-talk, don't whinge, just be pleasant. Ros walks in the door, I go, oh, my back hurts so much. <laughs> so I'm not so good at that one. But it's a great truth, so I don't throw it out. Lay down the burden of your suffering in order to take up the responsibility of being happy. Um, and I'll, I'll finish with this. Eddie Jehu says this. I think this is so brilliant. It's so simple. He talks about how he has his revenge now for all that he suffered. And you know what he says? Listen to this. My revenge is, at night, sitting safely in a lounge, in my own home, in front of the TV, with a cup of tea and a biscuit. How cool is that? That's all the revenge he needs. Hmm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Ian. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.